Welcome to Lather Talk, a wet shaving podcast. I'm your host, John, a.k.a. Latherhog, and with me is my co-host, Gerard. Hey, Gerard. Hey, what's up, everyone? Gerard here from Hey Gerard Shaves on Instagram. And I'd also like to introduce our special guest for today. He is IMCDB on YouTube, a.k.a. Chris Bailey. And Chris, we would like to welcome you to the show. Thanks very much. I really appreciate the opportunity. A great place to start is the beginning. And Chris, since most folks know you from your YouTube channel, I'd love to hear, how did you first decide to start a YouTube channel for wet shaving? Thank you very much for that question. That's one that I've had to answer a few times, but probably um, not enough. I started simply because at the time um, I was in groups and there were, uh, some of them were a little rough for new people. So a new person would ask a question like, can I put boiling hot water in a scuttle or something? And they would be, they would, uh, the group at the time would descend on them and heckle them and create all, all sorts of problems. And basically they beat up on new people. And so I was relatively new myself, but not entirely. And I decided based on a couple of the groups that I was in that, you know, I want to make a channel and just be friendly to new folks and just see what happens. I want to talk about my experience and what I have learned. And so really that's the way it started. It started as the result of at the time, what I felt was a very toxic uh, community or at least in certain groups in certain places. And I just didn't think that new people really had much of a resource for being friendly and saying, welcome and join us and no question is stupid and so on and so forth. I think it's awesome what you're doing for the, the wet shaving community in general, but in particular that you've really tried to I think, rally other content creators, uh, in particular on, on YouTube, and really reach out to folks who, you know, especially are, are just kind of just starting their channels, um, maybe hit a few rough patches or need some advice. So um, I've seen you there. I've seen you, you know, within your within your own channel give shout outs and just get eyes on it. But the real question is, how, yeah, how do you go about finding new channels? Is it like word of mouth or a certain term that you pop into YouTube to search for? How do I have time? It's difficult, but I'm a very early riser. So I usually get up about 3 a.m., which is when my videos also are posted. And I'll try to watch um, as many as I can. And I try to support as many people as possible. And for me, that's just the way I try to give back. So mostly I just stumble upon new people. And if I see something, and as long as they're doing it in what I consider to be a positive way, I'm happy to mention them. Um, but from there, it's up to them as to how they run their channel and how they build it. But the reason I do that is because when I started making videos, there were some larger channels like Antic 59 and uh, Michael Freeberg. And, um, of course, Geo Fat Boy and Nick Shaves. But no one at the time really advocated for smaller channels. And no one ever really shouted out smaller channels just because it wasn't anything that folks did. They simply made the type of content they made and that was it. And so I always said if I developed any sort of following that I would always try to mention 
small channels or just anything that strikes my fancy. So a big a big part, I should say, of my channel is responding to things that I see. So I've been mentioning the chief a lot recently. And the reason why is not because I'm trying to push the chief's channel or get him subscribers. It's because he's part of the conversation um, because of the type of videos he's making and because he's making daily videos and because he's making thought provoking videos. So if I see a video that's remarkable to me or something that, that just sort of stands out, I'll mention it. Also, when I see someone new, uh, I try to mention them. The only time I won't do it is if someone's being ugly or, you know, not really doing it in a positive way. Because I always say that the things that I regret uh, about making content over the years is when I allow myself to be upset and react emotionally to things and not add something positive to the community. That doesn't mean you can't discuss difficult issues and give an opinion. But if you're talking about people and not the practice or the action, that's sort of where I draw the line. I don't like uh, personal attacks being made on people. I think it's completely fair game to talk about business practices or how someone does something. And I know that's a very long-winded way. I didn't answer how I find them. They just really sort of pop up, honestly. The YouTube algorithm uh, suggests it for you, you know. Uh, there's actually a pretty it good does. job of uh, of doing that. If you like this, you know this person's new. So, I think I feel like over the years that's that's just something that's uh, kind of been beneficial for for wet shavers in general. Oh yeah, I agree. They they pop up and I watch, and sometimes people reach out to me and they say, "I'm thinking about making a, a channel because I love wet shaving," and I say, "Go for it." I do not look at this as a competitive thing in terms of content creation. I am not in competition with anybody. I make the con content that I enjoy, and if people watch, I'm really, really happy, and I appreciate it. But I don't do it to compete. I don't do it to have the largest channel. I've been doing it for a long time. I've probably made more videos or have more videos on the two channels than anybody. Um, but I don't have, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, the largest number of views or subs. I do it for enjoyment first and foremost, and everything else is just gravy. If you get subs, if you get likes and views, um, I appreciate that. But for me, it's making a video and then the interaction that I have with people that is what I find really valuable. It's not for all the things that some people seem to think. Like they, they say, no one ever sends me anything. Well, don't get into content creation because you expect something. Expect to enjoy, um, let me phrase it a different way. If you're not doing it for enjoyment, in other words, you don't enjoy actually making the video, editing, editing the video, sharing your experience, then don't do it um, because you're in it for the wrong reasons. If you think you're going to get fame or glory or a bunch of stuff, um, I just don't. We're in a niche hobby. You're not going to be famous. Let's just be honest. Yeah, we de definitely with wet shaving occupy a really unique corner or back alley of YouTube, <laughs> I think. Um just curious, uh, what would be some tips or advice you'd have for someone who wants to start their own wet shaving channel, or maybe they're just starting out and are like a few videos in? The number one thing for me is keep it um, on topic. Keep it to wet shaving and things that are related to wet shaving. Do not veer off course and get into ranting about politics, which I have personally done uh, in the past. Do keep it to the thing that you're enjoying. So in my case, what happened was I went through 
changes in my life. I started using it as a sort of sounding board to um, let frustration out. That's not why people are coming to visit you. And I really think that if you build a channel around really enjoying wet shaving and then you change it and you start ranting about politics, you've really done a disservice um, to, to your viewers. They're not coming for that. They're coming to enjoy. They're coming a lot of times to get away from that. And so once I realized that, um, I started making the type of content that I used to make, whereas I'm just enjoying shape. The number one thing in my view is to make sure that you keep it on topic, that you're enjoying it and that you're not being negative or attacking people. That for me is, is somewhere I think that's where I draw the line personally. You don't need to attack people. It doesn't mean you can't criticize things, actions, but don't get personal, I think is one of the, the big um, tips that I would give. And also, don't look at the largest channel and just do the same thing that they do. So create your own niche, um, have your own things, whether it's a catchphrase, whether it's something that, that is unique to you, because there's plenty of people doing this. And this is a relatively small audience. So you need to find something that you do that no one else does. Um, if you're doing the exact same thing, then you're probably not going to get as much enjoyment out of it if you're ex expecting to be watched. Um, that said, if you do the video with personal enjoyment in mind, you're going to be good no matter what. If you just say, hey, man, I like doing this, um, I think people will also enjoy it too. That's my personal opinion. Uh, you touch upon kind of the journey that you had from when you started to kind of uh, hitting a rough patch and coming out of that, which I would, and I would say very like in a refreshed manner, but also you, unafraid to talk about kind of mistakes of the past, uh, how you want to change and where you're going forward. Would you mind sharing more for, with the audience uh, a little bit of uh, kind of uh, that journey um, as far as how it connects to your YouTube channel? Sure. Um, for me, you know, I started the channel for the reasons I mentioned before, and then it became just enjoying the products and the people. And at the time, we had folks like Busta and Ray Pope and The Stallion, who's still around, and Wesley Allen. And there was really a, a group of very of fun, dynamic personalities. And so we all sort of helped each other to build our channels, and we had fun with each other, and there was a tremendous amount of camaraderie. And then as time went on, a lot of people um, dropped out, and it wasn't quite as enjoyable. At the same time, I had problems in my own personal life. I went through a divorce and all sorts of other things. And my outlook on the world changed. I started really watching more news media, and I was really taking in a lot of negative content. And as a result, my channel sort of veered off in that direction where I'm venting frustrations. And so... You know, a little while back when I came back and I said, you know what, let's just get back to having fun, shaving and enjoying it for what it is. Forget about the politics. So I also stopped consuming all that material, all the political opinion material. I just basically got rid of it. Um, I'm still aware of what's going on in the news, but I don't read stuff all day and all night. I'm not on Twitter looking to be antagonized, looking to be upset. And as a result, everything got much more positive. And so it allowed me just to get back to having fun, 
doing what I enjoy. And also I just asked people, I said, you know, what do you think? You know, what do you appreciate? And, and they told me a number of things. And one of the things that they told me was, I don't like when you used to say, I'm CDB and you're not. And what I didn't realize was, so I'm getting older, you know, I'm nearly 50. And when I used to say, I'm CDB and you're not, that was an sort of paying respect to Chevy Chase from Saturday Night Live. Because in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, Chevy Chase was on the news uh, weekend update. And he would start out, yeah, he would start out by saying, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. And so it was never intended to mean I'm better than you. It was supposed to be a light, flippant type thing, but people didn't take it that way. And so that's one of the things I come to learn was some of the things I said, people just flat didn't get it. Uh, there are cultural differences that, you know, sometimes I make a um, some sort of uh, comparison to something and folks just don't know what you're talking about, like even a music or anything. So mm. I think you have to be cognizant of that as well as that we're speaking to an international audience and about half of the people that watch my videos are outside the United States. So I think you have to keep that in mind and, and you know, redouble your efforts to not say things that people might take the wrong way, even if you don't intend it. That's crazy. Fit over 50 or about like, like half of your audience is, is internet, uh, non-US? It's a little under 50%. It's 40-something last I checked. So there is a very big, um, there's a very large amount of viewers that aren't in the US. So when you're speaking to something culturally within the US that might not exist somewhere else, sometimes they just don't know what you're talking about. And so I have learned that recently through talking to people like Johan from Shave and Butcher, because he'll say, what are you talking about? I've never seen that. And then I'll send him a clip. For example, Sanford and Son. So in one of my videos, I said, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you, honey. That's Fred Sanford. He had no idea. He had no idea. He had never seen it. So I sent him a clip and he said, that's very funny. I didn't know about this. And that blew my mind. Well, he's from Sweden. So he's never been exposed to that. So that's one of the things that I'm trying to keep in mind going forward is that not everybody understands. And sometimes it can be taken out of context. So I'm trying to be more inclusive as much as I can. I think, I think a couple of things just to comment on. Um, you talk about having just under 50% being un, um, international. And I think that goes to the point, you know, how early you post some of your videos where everyone is still asleep here, they are wide awake, you know, right there in Europe, in, in other parts of the, of the world, and it pops up. So that's probably something that, one, we couldn't really account for, you know, like if, you know, like you're, you're talking about sitcoms and, and things like that. It's a American sitcom, you know, Saturday Night Live, American sketch comedy. We have like a four hour window, maybe like eight, if you want to include Hawaii in there. And, and that's it, but YouTube is such an international platform that it doesn't matter really when, you know, like it'll get posted and it can get flagged by the algorithm and sent to who knows where. You'd be surprised that it really is a hobby without barriers. And that's one of the beautiful things about it, in my view, is you're not only sharing it with fellow folks here in the United States or wherever, or even in North America. Um, we all have this thing in common and many of them you know speak english as well there are some channels that are not in english but the swedish folks um make their content in english typically 
and we watch their stuff and we love it. They're tremendously wonderful people. Many of them have reached out to me personally when I started straight razor shaving, sending me private videos on do this, do that. Um, they're just great people. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate is that everybody can participate. There really isn't barriers. We don't talk about race. We don't think in terms of race. We don't think in terms of skin color. We don't even think in terms of country. We just all enjoy the same hobby. And that's one of the reasons that I really like it, especially now where things are so divided in America. We can set it aside. And honestly, I have never encountered a person in this hobby um, personally who's had anything bad to say about other races or genders or anything. It's just like, welcome aboard. Um, we, we see the female shavers. Like, for example, she shaves with Jill. She's 70 years old. She's shaving her face with a straight razor. Everybody can participate. And I personally think that there's a huge potential for females to come and create more content and for this thing to take off. It's, it's rather untapped right now. There's only a few. But if they ever really gain a foothold and other women start seeing that, I think it's going to be fantastic. Everyone can, tis- can participate, and that's really one of the things I really love about it. Yeah, I think that's that's been a great trend um, as of late. I know that's something in particular. I think that you've uh, made a point to um, to elevate as well as you know, as far as the channels that you're including, especially to, to pay special attention to women with shavers. Because yeah, up to this point, right? It's you got fifty percent of the of the world population uh, on, on potentially on board, but missing out so much and. I mean, more than ever now with our, I think with the advancements in both the actual shaving soaps, soaps and creams, post-shave regimen too has come, you know, like with serums and other things. Not to say everyone partakes of that, but you see those kind of products more. We're crossing into to beauty products, basically. I mean, and I have no problem saying that. I don't think any, you know, any, any man should feel bad about it. It's, you're taking care of your skin. You got into wet shaving because, sure, maybe it's convenience or the the results are better than a cartridge, right? But it's yeah. it's not leaps and bounds to say, oh, may, can you recommend to me a good like facial moisturizer? We're a little more uh, accepting, uh, you know, of, of of those kind of things. We we certainly are accepting, and I think that's again that's one of the things that I really appreciate. Anyone can participate and yes we're going more towards the realm of of beauty and all those things but i think once again everything that anyone does be it an artisan be it a content creator that has the potential to pull someone else in so if it's peter tricalis making some skin serum or zingari or whomever and a lady or a gentleman happens to fall into traditional shaving I think a lot of times we call it wet shaving and people don't know that when we say wet shaving, we mean traditional shaving. So I like to say traditional shaving. Okay. But anyway, back to the point, everybody that discovers something and then sort of falls into the rest of it is a big plus. So I think folks branching out and, and including some of these other things is a positive development in my view. I talk about this, uh, I mentioned it a couple of times, like for example, um, like my wife is really into nail polishes, right? So like some of us have 10, 20, I don't know, 70 soaps, right? And she has probably like 50 nail polishes. 
And I would talk to her about it and mention, like, you know, shaving is... It, it is not a male-exclusive thing, obviously. But, you know, like, women, you know, like, love going to get manicures. They love getting pedicures. They like getting pampered and stuff like that. And this is just kind of, you know the male equivalent but really it's the new gender neutral equivalent you know and things like that why can't shaving be uh, a pleasurable you know experience and then not just that like john mentioned you know okay well instead of just splashing on you know water or just an alcohol-based splash so many companies are using you know like um just serums and and oils and stuff like that to really just um heighten that experience and I'm I, I love it right you know like I'm I'm totally uh, a sucker for it and I think so many of us um, really enjoy that aspect of the hobby maybe we didn't and I don't know if we all uh, initially entered the hobby with that in mind but just kind of the longer you're in it just the more ways you find of finding a pleasurable experience while shaving. And I think that, and that's something that you share, you know, um, on, on your channel. And I think, you know, John and myself share, you know, through our avenues and things like that too, is why, you know, are we even having this conversation? Because we find something that we all love in this hobby and we really do want to share it with others. We want to talk about it with others. Um, no matter where they they're at, where they're wherever they're from. Oh yeah, I agree. It's something we certainly want to share. That's why we're in the business of uh, content creation to begin with. Um, when I discovered it, you know, it was not only um, the things I mentioned to to you earlier, which was there was a lot of people being mistreated as I saw, it, but it was also like I want to share it. This is awesome um, because it literally went from. I had used all the cartridge razors and quite frankly, I just didn't know how to shave. And most people don't, to be honest, to shave properly. And so I happened upon uh, an article or something. And then it pointed me, somehow I found uh, Geo Fat Boy and then Mantic 59. I'm like, oh, I remember my grandfather doing this. And I watched many of those videos and I said, I'm going to try this. So I tried it and I'm like, wow. I got uh, Todd Sandalwood, who's the first um, soap, and the scent blew me away. That's what hooked me right away. The scent of Todd Sandalwood was like, oh, man, this is so much different from anything I've ever experienced. And I was like, I wonder if there's anything else out there. And so I had an Edwin Jagger razor. The first number of shaves didn't go well. I mean, it doesn't usually go well in the beginning. But I said, I believe Geo Fat Boy. I believe Mantic 59. And so I'm going to keep plugging. And within a short period of time, it started going well. And I was like, oh, I'm on to something now. And now my face feels great. And at the time, uh, I was using, I think, a, a Braun electric razor. And they just don't get close. Um, I used a very, very good Braun electric razor, very expensive. And it just wouldn't get close. And I'd get irritation primarily on the neck. And so once I discovered it and realized this is not just some guys making something up, for the sake of wanting to be uh, traditional. They actually, there's something to this. And so then I said, I want to share it um, with other people. What's the most effective way of doing that? Well, YouTube was, was growing and social media. And so 
you start joining the groups, you start talking to like, like-minded folks, and then you start sharing. And then years later, here we are. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Awesome. Well, I do want to lighten things up a little bit too, because I think we've addressed some, you know, some some more serious topics. But um, because you you're shooting every day, I feel like sometimes more than once more than once a day. I'm uh, literally looking at you, you have two posts today, <laughs> then a couple ones, and then three days ago you posted twice in a day. There's <laughs> a machine, content machine over here. We're talking monster. To. Mo- I'm just like I'm like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so. Given your prolific content creation, I'm wondering, do you actually have any holy grail pieces, whether it's software, you got to straight razor shaving, even safety razors, and any holy grail type pieces that are on your on your list to try to get still? Honestly, holy grail things to me are generally things that are sentimental. So they're not a shiny piece of gear. So the stallion, Anthony Esposito, gave me a weight and butcher for Gentleman Juice, which I've only seen ever three or four of. There are only like four that I'm aware of. And that razor dates back to somewhere between the 1840s to around the time of the Civil War, maybe a little bit before. And so when I got that razor, I thought, now I've got the straight razor shape because this is such a magnificent gift. So that piece to me is a holy grail piece because not only – is it something that's really hard to find, but it, it came from a friend. So that means a lot. The other piece, surprisingly, is the soap that led me down the artisan rabbit hole. Because initially, I was using Tobbs, Cella, um, all the you know mass-produced soaps. And let me just say, there's nothing wrong with mass-produced soaps. They will get the job done. Spike, um, you name it, Arco, all of those. I mean, there are tons of them, and I was using them all. I bought a um, uh, a batch or a lot of soaps off Badger and Blade. And in that lot was a bunch of Razor Rock soaps. So one of them was Triple X. And it was the first time I had ever experienced the Aqua de Parma Colonia scent. And then there was Son of Zeus in there, which is uh, based on another really nice fragrance. And Motherfucker. Yeah. And so I was blown away. And I thought the sense, it's always been the sense that attracted me to the soaps. And for that reason, the triple X soap that I have there, which is between eight and 10 years old, and it's still fantastic. Like it still lathers well. It still has all its scent. Um, that it's called, it's in a, what's called a UFO tub, the original version. The, and it's just, that one to me means a lot because it's what made me realize there are artisans out there who make this stuff, who are making these magnificent scents that are far different from the mass-produced soap. So those, for me, would be the two pieces. In terms of what I want, honestly, I don't want much, um, but I am attracted to vintage straight razors. There's just something to me, something special about razor. To me, it's almost as if they have soul. It's like I know they've been used before, 
And the ones that are very old, like from the 1800s, um, are especially appealing. I don't know why, but I just know each time I get one, I think about, you know, this is from 1850 or 1860. What was going on in the world time? Could this have been, you know, something that somebody used on the battlefield? Could it have been a barber shaving? Who knows what person? And so to me, um, those vintage pieces are really special. Do you have happen to know off the top of your head what's the what's the current count of straight razors? Because I, I know you'll pick up some new ones, get some as gifts, but also piff them, sell them on. But okay, what's the current count r- right now? I guess as of this recording, it's not that many. It's probably twelve to fifteen, and a lot of those are um, probably five or six or gold dollars just to learn honing because that's the other rabbit hole that I stumbled into. In fact, I have one right here that I just honed today. Um, which is a, a, a gold dollar. And the reason that, you know, a lot of people home, home gold dollars, they're two or three dollars and you don't have to worry about it if you mess up. And so, um, but the, but the account is, um, I don't have a ton, um, but the ones I have, I really like, I've got several bait and butchers. And to me, the Sheffield steel razors, I don't know if it's just me being attracted to that time period when those are made, or there's actually something special about them. Um, but I really like, uh, those razors. I mean, there's, I think, uh, some people who are into music, you know, they, if they're into violins, you know, they want to go for that Stradivarius. If you're into classic cars, you know, like just vintage hot rods or just vintage, you know, cars and things like that. Um, I think that there's definitely a, uh, a like-minded attitude, you know, with either vintage straight razors, just vintage razors in general. Some people are going they're trying to complete the entire like Gillette collection, you know what I mean? And, and stuff like that, uh, from whether it's made in the U S the UK or Canada or wherever it, you know, wherever it's from. So, um, it's definitely, yeah, I, I totally hear you, you know, when you, when you have a soft spot for, for vintage razors. Now there's a very interesting difference, I think, and distinction between vintage safety razors and vintage straight razors, because Straight razors essentially have not changed since uh, they were started. I mean, they do make custom razors that are fancier and look different and use different metals and different techniques, but the design is basically the same. With safety razors, I think we have improved on those designs over time. And some of the modern razors today are absolutely phenomenal in their ability to be efficient, yet easy on your face. Carve, I think, would be an example of that a razor that is efficient yet easy on your face. But straight razors, on the other hand, largely they're the same as they always were, minus customs and special-looking razors. And that also appeals to me. That, you know, It's sort of the same thing as it's always been. Um, on the safety razor side of things, though, I think there are some folks who don't appreciate vintage uh, safety razors because most of them, uh, or a lot of them at least, People find them to be mild and not efficient as uh, today's offerings. Would you say that technique is everything? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. That's a great question. I like that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Feed me up. You triggered already. I want to explain something. When we say technique is everything, and this is sort of the example that I'm using. When you look at your wife and you say, you're everything to me, you don't mean that in a literal sense. In other words, 
you're drinking right now. You have to have sustenance. You have to have food. You need your, your daughter if you have her. You need other people in your life. You need food. You need sustenance. It's not a literal thing where you say you're everything. And in the same way that we say technique is everything, it doesn't literally mean that that's the only consideration. What we mean by that is it is the most important consideration. If you have great technique, you can shave with almost anything. Um, there's plenty of people that have shaved dry with butter, with I've used on dishwashing liquid or soap just for the sake of doing it, just to say it could be done and, and you can do it. Um, I think the argument that, for example, our friend, the chief from uh, shaving with the chief has is he, he believes that some higher quality soaps afford him a little more leeway. Um, and I think there, that's something that could certainly be explored. But the problem is we don't have an objective way of measuring how slick a soap is. Um, if you even believe in cushion, how much cushion it provides, glide, there are all these terms that we use, most of which we can't measure. We can't objectively measure scent. We can't objectively measure um, slickness. And so any of us who talk about soaps and, and put numbers on them, it is entirely in this subjective realm. The only thing we can talk objectively about is the ingredients in the soap, what the soap costs. I mean, those are facts. And those are things we can hang our hat on. We can't hang our hat on the fact that this soap is the slickest or that soap is less slick. Because also, uh, things, uh, something that people don't consider is your technique for lathering comes into play as to how slick a soap is can be so there are so many variables and without any objective way to measure it's really difficult to say that a soap that has really special ingredients affords you more protection none of us can say that but what i can say for a fact is if your technique is good and i think dave card is someone who proves this very consistently he shaves within five or six minutes he doesn't spend a lot of time lathering and his technique it's just fantastic. He shaved with a blindfold, with a straight razor in, I think, four minutes or maybe under. He doesn't cut himself. He rarely cuts himself. He gets great shaves on a regular basis. It's because his technique is superb. So I think you can objectively say that technique is one of those things that gives you the most. Um, how much the soap means, I can't really say. But what I do think is the next, I would rank it this way. Technique is number one. The blade, the actual blade, for me, would be number two. Or razor, if you're using the DE razor. And then soap, come in after, uh, soap comes in, I should say, after that. That's where I would rank it. I'd be curious to hear what you guys think. Um, I'll, I'll go for this first. Well, it looks like you're thinking, John. So, like, I've talked about this um, with others as well. You know, saying that um, you can try and standardize everything, right? But truth is, our tap water is different, the contents of our tap water is different, and that can have a either small or significant influence like on, on how we lather, um, how much soap we load, how long we load, all of those little variables, right? And, and you can buy um, like a $60 tub of Martin de Condra, right? And get just a mediocre lather, or, and you can buy, like, a from Italian Barber, you can buy a Michi, which is 399 
and get a serviceable lather, right? And who would know either way? Um, and and I think that goes to the, the point that you're trying to make. Uh, that I thought about. I even you know I tried uh, using like distilled water. I tried measuring, and I'm just like, this isn't pleasurable. This this isn't enjoyable <laughs> for me. You know, and there's some people that do it. Um, their level of OCD is admirable and they, God bless them. You know, I, I just don't, I don't have it in me to do that all the time. But I, I would agree that technique is definitely um, probably the, the key factor in everything. Um, same thing with uh, hardware, uh, whether you're using a straight razor, DE, no matter what blade you use, um, some people say, "Oh, this razor's terrible" or "This blade's terrible," and I'm like, "I get great shaves with that blade, you know. I get great shaves with that razor, you know." And it's not like I have sense, you know. I don't really have sensitive skin. I don't have leather skin, you know. But it's, I, I think that. Um, you kind of just find your way into whatever technique it is that works for you. And you can always add upon that knowledge. You know, someone will say, oh, I did this um, and it just completely changed the way how I shaved. Uh, a, a perfect example would be um, the super, super small light strokes, you know. Um, some people we just want to go like with a DE and just kind of just like big swipes and, and stuff like that and then we end up like either getting ingrowns or we cut ourselves or anything like that and someone going super micro on the strokes every single time and then afterwards perfect BBS shave you know and um, I think people are continuously going to be doing that. People, someone's going to find something, uh, something new, and they're going to say, "Hey, um, I don't know if I discovered this, but here's something that I found. See if it works for you." And I think that's going to just happen continuously. As I was listening to like your your answers, uh, both Chris and Gerard, I think technique. It has to be technique, primarily because so many things encompass technique it falls under that category so there's preparation right whether that means <laughs> whether that means you're showering before warm cloth appreciate whatever it is preparation is one right you guys have mentioned the importance of choosing the tool you're going to use straight razor the right um, the right safety razor for you the right blade for you uh, i mean blades hands down right has got to be the most mileage may vary thing i love gillette silver blues I hate Gillette Silver Blues. I love Perma Sharps. I, I hate Perma Sharps. But, like, you know, it's every face is different. And I think I was thinking, like, mapping your facial hair growth is important too, right? Because, especially a straight razor, am I actually going against the grain? Like, especially under the, the neck area and the chin, it's all different for everyone. Sometimes, some people I've heard, it goes like a cyclone kind of pattern. <laughs> so, it's like you got to kind of be a little creative with how you go there, but that's all technique because that's and that's also experience. If you want to say like how long you've done something, you know, obviously, straight razor shave number five is going to be like peanuts to like number 50 <laughs> or 60. Like, hopefully, hopefully, you're not shaving as well as you were back in, in the single digits. 
But, but like all these things, right, that I'm, I'm talking about, I feel like they all fall under technique, even though it's like there's such different things. But they, they are mostly things that experience trial and, and uh, experience and trial and error. Uh, we, we learn. What what is traditional shaving? Traditional shaving is really techniques. And so we're using progressive beard reduction, making multiple passes. We're using a brush to make a lather rather than squirting it out of a can and just wiping it on our face with our hands. We're doing everything is about technique as it applies to traditional shaving. Um, it is technique. That's what makes it different because I have done this before. You can go get Barberstall or whatever product you like, Edge Gel, and you can use it in the traditional way. And you'd be surprised how good a shave you could get with it. Even a car, like a, a Harry's razor. If you make multiple passes, if you make a lather, an actual lather with um, head slicker or any any product that will lather, you'd be surprised how good of a shave you can get. And so I know a lot of people poo-poo all that stuff because we're all invested in you know, safety razors and straight razors. But I have used carts. Um, I didn't use them for many, many years because I was full in on carts are crap, carts are crap, carts are crap. And then I just tried it. And I'm like, wow, what really mattered the most to me was learning how to shave, learning what my face will reasonably tolerate, which is one of the things that's rarely mentioned, but very important. There's certain areas you don't go against the grain or with the grain or what have you. It's all about learning what your face will put up with it and how it responds and then working within what it will uh, reasonably tolerate and then using equipment that um, you can get the best out of. That's the way I see it. Chris, do you think we're too close to wet shaving artisans nowadays? I think that's a great question, and I would start by saying that as content creators, our responsibility primarily is to the viewers, readers, or whatever format you're um, making content for. You have to keep them in mind, and some of us, including myself, are friends with with artisans. I'm just going to use Peter Charkalis as an example. I'm friends with Pete. We've broken red together. He's a great guy. That said, it does not stop me from airing things in my videos that maybe aren't up to snuff. So recently I talked about shipping with the Shaving Shop Club, which he has since fixed, by the way, um, which I really appreciate. We have talked about uh, the other day I used a Revolution soap, and I don't think on the label it had the ounces on it. I don't think it had the base on it, which I think would be great. And so I, I brought that up. I didn't like the scent which I also uh, said, I just think you have to sort of set aside your personal relationship and call it like you see it. At the same time, we don't want to hurt people. And I think we should have that standard with every single artisan in terms of we, we owe it to them to be fair and to not to be overly critical without reason. So if they're doing things that you don't like, uh, I don't think it's fair to get a product and say negative things about a well-performing product because of something they do. We need to be evaluating the products, in my view, and not the person. Um, I try to keep personal type things out of it, and I'm just evaluating the product. And I think 
we really owe it to our listeners, our viewers, our readers, where we do have a relationship to set that aside for that moment. And sometimes it's difficult. I can guarantee you that I have been on Peter Tricalis's nerves when I talked for two or three weeks about shipping, you know, and in my live videos. But what I will say is since that time, he has worked to fix that. So whether I was influential in his, him fixing that or not, I don't know, but I sure said it. And I would encourage everyone to do the same. And it actually helps everyone, but you just have to be fair. I don't think it's responsible to be overly negative without reason, but you should absolutely speak your mind. Um, and if you can't be objective, so your friendship is so deep that you just can't bring yourself to air uh, constructive criticism, then I think it's best not to do the content at all. Don't um, talk about that product. Just recuse yourself, in other words. Yeah, I think that, that definitely works for both someone who you might have uh, a negative impression of, but also I think when you're too close to it, right, which is what we're talking about originally, uh, if you're too close to it, I, I think I've definitely recused myself from doing a review, like a formal review style thing. I'll still tell you about like the, the scent, whether I like it or not, what I get out of my nose and recommend it that way. But I'm not going to go too far deep because it's just like, of course, I recommend the product that my friend is making. <laughs> is making like, I, I, I'd like you to try it, too. But also that friendship. Yeah, it, it could blind you like, oh, where it's like a middle of the road product. I might think it's above average to spectacular because I want to, you know, like I'm rooting for him or her. I want to see them succeed. You brought up a very interesting point when you said it can work the other way in that you can have a negative impression and let it bleed in. And I think we have to redouble our efforts not to allow that to happen. Like you can't let things that have been done in the past also um, reflect in your evaluation of a product. And I see this happen sometimes. I don't think it's fair to the artisan to consider the you know history of maybe they did something that people didn't like. Uh, talk about the product and evaluate the product. And for me, leave it there. Uh, we don't need to get into the baggage as far as that goes, or at least that's my perspective. Um, there maybe are some people that are interested in that, but I'm not interested in doing it. I've done it in the past, and it's nothing that interests me now. I just want to talk about the product itself and the service and leave it there. I'm not really interested in, in getting involved in terms of making the videos transgressions of the past. I'm someone who believes in forgiveness, um, and I think... I often think, where would we be if when, every time we made a single mistake, no one ever forgave us? And no one would be anywhere. And so I think we have to you know, reevaluate relationships over time. Maybe someone has earned their way back. Maybe at one point you didn't buy from them, but maybe they've done things to warrant it. And I think that requires, I think you need to double back and, and reevaluate things as time goes on, or at least you know, that's my perspective. Luckily, I think the, the the list would be short for like artisans artisans with bad behavior, like like how you said, Chris, like who have a history, and that we kind of have to separate ourselves from that. And and, and I, I'm I'm totally with you too. Like you cannot get along with someone, and in, I think more in this climate than ever is like we can disagree and still be friends. That is so important, it, it, and now more than ever, 
we need to give people the benefit of the doubt. So in the other day in a, in a video, I mentioned people need to make an effort to look at the charitable interpretation of things first. In other words, if you make a comment in your video, I should not assume that you're talking badly about me. I should look at your comments within the context of being charitable first. And then if I can't get beyond that, I need to reach out to you and talk to you rather than blowing up and making a, a video and responding and so on and so forth. I think people sometimes look to be offended. They look to be provoked, at least in today's climate. And I think we need to go the other way, whereas we need to give people benefit of the doubt. We need to be more kind and generous and all of those things. Did you have a, a wrap-up question in mind, Gerard? Well, just basically maybe just asking um, simply what's in the future. Uh, I mean, I know that we've talked about kind of, you know, your channel right now, but where do you see IMCDB uh, a year from now or three years from now? I haven't actually thought that far out. I, I'm doing things on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, I am getting older. You know, I'm maybe five years from retirement from this particular job. And so I don't know what the future holds in terms of vocation. But in terms of a hobbyist, I want to continue to be an advocate for traditional shaving. I want to continue to make content as long as I'm enjoying doing so. And the minute that I don't enjoy it, I won't do it. I will never make the mistake of making content when I don't enjoy it. I have done that in the past. Um, sometimes you almost feel like you have an obligation to do it, or you can feel that way. And so I am redoubling my efforts um, to make sure that my primary goal is enjoyment and to advocate um, for traditional shaving. And so where I see myself is continuing to do the things I'm doing right now, which is making relationships, advocating, and enjoying it, and just having fun. And it's really, I think, the hobby itself is a little piece of, um, it's a little piece of something nice that you can get away from all the divisiveness in the world. You can step inside this hobby where most folks get along. I know we focus on the vocal minority a lot of times, but most of us enjoy each other. Most of us get along. And that, for me, is, is, is the best thing about it is we can just enjoy it. So I just want to enjoy myself. It's that simple. I know that's a very long-winded way of saying for the next one to five years, I'm going to be enjoying myself. But that really is what's in it for me. Awesome, Chris. Well, we want to thank you again for joining us tonight uh, on Lather Talk. It's been so much fun talking to you. Uh, I think you have a lot of knowledge and wisdom to share for, uh, for what she is in general. Uh, and, and for content creators um, who are making videos for wet shaving or want to do it. So thank you again for lending us your time. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Lather Talk. You can find all the links for IMCDB in the show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can help us out by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next episode.